Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Жизни больше не блуждать, я изведал счастье пусть, Вечная дана мне Богом благодать, Мой Господь и Царь Иисус, Аллилуйя, Юрисрадникая и вечно Он пьет, Юрисрадникая Он жизнь дает, Радостно хожу я, Воду пью живую из источника, что Бог не шлет. Жизнь знаю я теперь, о святом покое весь. Быстро вечной жизни не страшна, олень, если в сердце благость есть. Аллилуйя, Юрий Задникая и вечно он пьет, Юрий Задникая он жизнь дает. Радость отхожу я, он убил живую из источника, что Бог не
Oh 
And so those of you who have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God that God reveals every day deeper and greater until the full light of the day. Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so the sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We've noted that this promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Not accepting the authority of God over ourselves, we refuse to be students. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, in which we died by the law, for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4 13 until within our bodies, <clears throat> while in our bodies this law of death exists, because there the old person is, the promise of peace has not yet come about. Only when the promise, the promise of peace will come about when the body is freed from the law of sin and death. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore, the promise of peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends to us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Not by our own mind personally or by our personal Bible. As soon as a person, I repeat, calls the book Bible my own, but does not have the right to that, is it yours? Did you did you write it? Did you create it that you're calling it your own? Of course, we could say, my Lord, but then we need to confirm this, that truly this is our Lord. God has his order by which we need to live. And as soon as this order is rejected and we begin to trust upon our own personal mind, then we are worse than any unclean or wicked person. 
Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2.18-26 Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. As soon as the Church of Christ was founded, many Antichrists appeared, haters of Christ by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. It turns out that these Antichrists was, was not the Sanhedrin. They never accepted him. Too. The scribes and Pharisees never accepted him. But here it says that these Antichrists are those who accepted Christ and then rejected Christ afterwards. They say we have not rejected Christ, but you rejected his order. Rejecting his order, you reject Christ. If you do not accept that person whom God has sent, that whom he has whom he sent to for you, then you reject God. You reject his order, you reject him. Who accepts you, accepts me, who receives you and who receives me receives the one who sent me. Who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me is rejected, is rejecting the one who sent me. Today, we have large uh, churches, large uh, groups of people that came out from us. Now, I'm not talking about physically from this church. I'm talking about they came out of church in general in the incorrect way, mocking the church, speaking. saying that this church is a heretic church and coming out from it, from God's churches. And not because this church is a heretic church, but because specific wicked people have appeared who wanted to take the position of the pastor. And as they were not successful in that, they drew people away from the church and performed division. And so all churches that are created by the form of division that happened not according to the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, his principles, these are the synagogue of Satan. They are filled with antichrists. These are the chaff. These are the weeds that are in bundles. These are who came, they went out from us, but they were not for they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace, demonstrated in the inheritance of peace, is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. If this is a peace that no one can destroy, no loss, no accusation, any deception or any kind of evil word against you, you will rejoice during this time that you have the privilege to overcome trials or persecution. Why are they blaming you? Why are they accusing you? Why are they slinging mud at you? Because this is what they did to Christ. 
And you need to understand that this is uh, something that you will need to overcome. Don't try to get uh, somehow avoid it or, or escape it. Uh, just be grateful that you're able to suffer for Christ's sake. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God, that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Only by the means of the righteousness of faith are we able to accomplish the imperishable or bring about these imperishable treasures that God has prepared for our body these imperishable treasures. Our spirit is imperishable, and so these imperishable treasures are necessary in order to clothe our bodies into immortality. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The kind of thoughts a person has, so is he. When you are in Jesus Christ, then you will use the mind of Christ. When you are out of Christ, you will use your own mind to determine what is good and what is evil. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus, our thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally mind, to be carnally minded, that means when the carnal mind is in control, but the, to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the peace of God, and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind, which is within Christ Jesus, that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith, so we bring about the inheritance of peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our mind would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We have been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. 
this place is taken from the Sermon on the Mount of Christ. If a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God, so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they could have have been called the sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace which places responsibility upon both sides or parties of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God according to those obligations consisting of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are the sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that He may fulfill His part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that uh, we would be able to share with Him all the things that are written about Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification which we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness. where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. In other words, when you make peace with a specific person, You cannot make this kind of agreement of peace or covenant of peace out of holiness. They come as a package. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We've noted that it's in this place of scripture we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is able to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12, 18, this place of scripture states that you cannot, it's not possible to have peace with all men. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression or demonstration of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked 
lawless image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 And so those people that stand upon the position of tolerance that we need to love everyone, the scriptures say that they do not know God. They do not have peace in their heart. They are deceived and they are marching to hell. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth but then left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. In other words, they became antichrists and they became haters of Christ. The very fact of the rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. And this is not the only place of scripture. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. Colossians 3, 14, 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love, the new, this is talking about the new person. The new person is shown here as love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, in Scripture in general, there are a lot of definitions and symbols of God's perfection. When it's talking about perfection, if God, if a person has this kind of selective love of God, then he's perfect. But if a person, if a person is able to hallow with his son upon the just and unjust, and pour out his reins upon the righteous and unrighteous as the Father does, as pouring his reins with the righteous, he blesses the people, and by pouring rain upon the wicked, he destroys them with his fire with his son. He can kindle entire forests. And so as we know, the incident just recently with the fire, uh, uh, what happened, uh, and our entire city was destroyed, the city of paradise. This was a, uh, a entire entire uh, town or place that was completely filled with tolerant individuals. And 
We know that the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Some will say, well, there's no such word in Scripture that says selective. It says holy. If it's holy, it's selective. Holiness, what does it do? It separates the dark or the night from day, the unclean from the clean, but you say there's no selective. We're just interpreting that word, holy, as selective, because holy is selective. It selects, it chooses. The selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Not all who have received salvation does do the scriptures call <coughs> children of God, just as not all Israelites or Jews did God call Jews and Israelites. He says, your father's the devil. The same thing today, not looking at the fact that people have accepted Christ, made a covenant by being baptized in water, are baptized in speaking in tongues, but if they stand upon the position or support the position of selective love, uh, of, of, of uh, tolerant love, a non-selective love, and do not see that God hates those who hate him and love those who love him, then this means that these people have become haters of Christ. They became the children of the devil. They themselves have made themselves this way. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Here is the love it's talking about, this kind of perfection. But there's a perfection that it's talking about also in Scripture. You've seen that those who are to come would not so those who have passed away would not be able to achieve this perfection without the the people of the last days so that we all together would be able to achieve that their bodies were not yet delivered from the law of sin and death but by faith they accepted this deliverance and died with that promise if they would have received this perfection then, then we would not have been able to receive it today because God would need to immediately prepare them for rapture at that time. Here it's talking about a different form of perfection that they without us. And so the deliverance of our body from the law of sin and death this is also called perfection, but a very different nature of perfection where the redemption of God 
uh, comes to its final stages or its final does its final work. To come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to, to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture and the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. Each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities. As they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, blend one within the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich in Jesus Christ. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the, or receive Him as the Lord and Master of our life. The Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become part of God's divine nature. We, by nature, become identical in nature as our Heavenly Father. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man, because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. A holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first of all of his other perfections identified as his virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God <clears throat> is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of man.
And so if the love of God is unconditional, then it's unconditional only to those people or those men that possess these seven qualities of virtue. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Here we're talking about the love of God agape. Set me as a seal upon the heart. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. We note that the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. You hated righteousness and hated lawlessness. God loves those who love him and hates those who hate him. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. We can be a sun that shines upon the righteous and unrighteous and a rain that pours upon the righteous and unrighteous. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the form of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, we cannot find them these definitions in any dictionaries of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the king, uh, uh, heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses, in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from such withdraw yourselves. 1 Timothy 6, 3, 4. Just because a person wants to conflict with you, the scriptures say, just distance yourself from such people. Do not dispute with such a person. Do not argue with them. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with dispute and arguments over words 
They are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but are also unfitting by their nature. In Scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with great mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 And God did all of this by His body, the Church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God, agape, within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to uh, prompt instincts of the opposite sex. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God and godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it is necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture? That of God as well as that of man. What purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God and man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? And by what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our, our godliness with the godliness of God? Or what conditions do we need to fulfill to attract the favor of God upon us, upon us in the form of His godliness? And before we continue to study the given virtue of the mystery of godliness, <clears throat> we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in His favor toward man and the godliness of a man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man in Scripture is his favor to God. It's a man's grace to God and his thanksgiving. It's his ability to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship and keep themselves undefiled by the world. It's imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills, seeking God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. This is the godliness of a man. The godliness of God is his goodness, his, his kindness, his goodness. Godliness is his favor and his grace toward man whom he has chosen from the multitude of the saved. His mercifulness towards the chosen by him person, again, his remnant, not just anyone but his children, his chosen ones his thanksgiving, his grace towards these people because they have demonstrated their thanksgiving and their grace toward him, his good work and his good acts. 
the act of redemption that he has done for his people, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The goodness of God in his favor toward man is uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man. It's a a kindness of God identified in his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which was formed in the entrails of the Heavenly Father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment, which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandments. The goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, first of all for himself, then his son and the Holy Spirit, and then for the chosen flock, whom he, because of his ability to see all things, foreknew and predestined so that they would be in the image of his son, so that he be the firstborn among many brothers, Jesus be the firstborn among many children of God. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. Specifically, those whom he foreknew and and predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, his love is unconditional towards these people. But by itself, it is selective. He chooses this person, and then he demonstrates, he reveals this unconditional love. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God and the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. And aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 1 Timothy 3.5 Again, we see here the holy God, uh, holy love of God. It says, don't, don't fit such people and do not forgive them because they are not able to be forgiven. They don't even have the right to repentance. They lost it. If a person has the look of godliness but has denied its power, then it's not possible to communicate with such a person any longer. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Therefore, a a continuation of the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? To attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God is to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 34, 12-14 Who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he, and many days is eternally, that he may see good? 
We want to be clothed into God's favor, to see this goodness. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In the original, chase after it. Psalm 34, 12-14. The phrase to see good is to look at good, which is the glory of God, so that you can attract the favor of God upon yourself or be clothed into the favor of God which comes from His glory. Because we are created by God with a surprising speciality that everything that we look upon with desire or want transforms us into the image of what we are looking at. It says, do you want to see good? If you will look at good, then you will transform into this favor, into this good. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, this, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Therefore, when it comes to the studied by us text, the desire for good or goodness is the desire to live eternally in God, with God, and by God. And the condition that would give us the opportunity to see good in order to transform us into this good and doing so clothe us into the favor of God, God's glory is first to keep your tongue from evil and your, li your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from all nature of evil in order to receive the ability to do good identified as the will of God. Seek the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace and pursue this peace. Considering that peace that we are called to seek and which we are called to pursue can exist and abide exclusively within the boundaries of holiness and be a demonstration of this holiness identified as the commandments of God. Accomplishing these three conditions provides God the basis he needs to turn the glory of his goodness upon us or to clothe us into the glory rays of his favor. Therefore, the first element necessary in order to attract God favor upon yourself written in this book of Apostle Paul is to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Considering that man is justified and condemned by the words that come out of his mouth, this warning and this condition becomes the deciding and seminal factor in the plan of our salvation. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, <clears throat> they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36, 37. <clears throat> That's why in Revelations, if you read, at the great white throne there's silence. No one's justifying themselves. Why? Because they, with their own words, have been condemned. There they suddenly uh, realize this law. God gave the law of sowing and reaping, <clears throat> and they with their own words have condemned themselves. And we were witnesses when people who cried and rejoiced for 20 years and then said, I never was part of this church, they say. They rejected, they even forgot all the things that they had, <clears throat> all, the, all the things that happened to them here. 
I will remind us that idle words are words that are spoken or stated in the form of slogans that do not exist in our heart, the meaning and essence of which we do not know, because we refuse to pay the proper price to comprehend the essence contained in these words. Which is why, then, the words that we did not pay a price for, by losing your life and the death of the Lord Jesus, cannot be the, f- the faith of your heart. Therefore, instead of attracting the favor of God upon yourself, you prompt His anger and wrath. Idle words is when, due to ignorance, the name of the Lord is turned by us into parasitic words that we fill our speech with because of a lack of words, because we refuse to know the consistency of the truth in the names and titles of God upon His conditions. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Exodus 27. We need to be knowledgeable about the fact that idle words that we perceive as good that are contrary to the scriptures is a program that comes from the old man or old person. At the same time, good words being the faith of our heart is a program that comes from the new person created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. My brethren, Apostle James writes, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In the original it says, May you not all be teachers, but only those whom God has called to be teachers, anointed to be teachers. You shall receive a stricter judgment. And so those, again, who make themselves teachers, for we all stumble in many things from those who make themselves teachers. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. But these do not have the ability to put these bits in in their mouth. Look also as ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set, it is set on fire by hell. For, from the old person who is a symbol of that hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. James 3, 1 through 8. This doesn't mean that it's not possible to, uh, to, bri- to bridle your tongue, but that means that man cannot discipline this mouth except for uh, God alone can discipline. If we seek God with all of our essence, we submerge ourselves into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there a person dies in the, a death 
He doesn't die physically. We die for the old person and he remains in these depths and we in the resurrection of Christ rise again and now our tongue will no longer be kindled by this hell. It will be kindled by the work of the Holy Spirit it will be kindled by the Spirit and will speak the words of God. And so the phrase, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many words. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body, speaks of people that have made themselves teachers. Those who are not placed by God, they will not be able to bridle their tongue. <coughs> The second element necessary in order to attract God's favor upon yourself, written in the book of Apostle Paul, is to depart from all nature of evil, in order to receive the ability to do good, identified as the will of God. To depart from evil and doing so receive the ability to do good, identified as the will of God. It is necessary to understand how to differentiate good and evil, or how to not be drawn to every wind of doctrine given by those that possess cunning craftiness when and for th- if people think that it's easy to differentiate evil uh, deception and truth, it's not so simple. In order to differentiate these things, you need to pay a price of your life. Otherwise, we will not be able to differentiate good and evil. And so those who think that, the, the, that it's easy, these are people who do not know God, which is why they say this. It is necessary to pray the, pay the price for the right to be nourished with curds and honey. The producers and sellers are people that are placed over us by God to instruct us upon the path of truth. Only then will we be able to comprehend what is good and evil. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Isaiah 7, 14, 15. Even for the Son of God in the flesh, it was necessary to submit himself to God's order so that he be taught. He will be eating curds and honey. That means that someone needed to give him this curds and this honey that was supernatural. And only then he will he be able to, in his time, refuse the evil and choose the good. The third element necessary in order to attract God's favor upon ourselves, written in the book of Apostle Paul, is to seek the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace and pursue this peace. We need to remember, and as I have stated, the peace of God can be done only within the boundaries of holiness uh, of the written commandments of God and be a demonstration of this holiness. As it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. And if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18. I repeat these places of scripture because <clears throat> we need to understand this very well. Some of us still violate this, they're still against this, and look for places of scripture in order to justify their communication with people that have left God's church. Concerning the boundaries or parameters of holiness, to seek the peace of God and to pursue it is possible only by walking the commandments and statutes which explain 
with whom and upon what grounds we can have peace and with whom we need to break that relationship of peace. Do not be deceived, evil company, corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15.33-34 Evil company are people who do not accept the authority and the order contained in the body of Christ when it comes to the relationship of one with the other. As this order is the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven called to abide in man that has an organic membership to the body of Christ, which is a specific church of saints who do not separate themselves from the unity of the faith. Those who do not accept God's authority. You know, in the democratic structure, the authority is not uh, honored or respected. They select a person, a pastor, and they are the ones who will instruct him. They cannot accept his authority over themselves. Why? Because they're the ones who selected him. They are above him. They choose him. They place him. Generally, the one who chooses and places they, is above the one who is placed. If Samuel chose Saul or David, Samuel was above Saul and David, but in the democratic uh, system, the pastor is not above the Sanhedrin or the brotherly council. The brotherly council is above the pastor, and this pastor needs to depend on what the brotherly council decides. It's not he who teaches the brothers, but the brothers teach him. This is very dangerous. The next condition in order to attract God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God is the necessity to trust the Lord God so that you may declare all his good works. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his works. Psalm 73:28. We're looking at how we need to be clothed into the, into the goodness of God. We need to ask the question, what is this work that is called to become within our heart a sign of our trust upon God so that he may turn, we may turn God's favor and goodness upon ourselves? According to the above-read place of Scripture, we conclude that if a person will not put his trust upon God, then coming near to God, he will not be able to experience in the presence of God his goodness. And consequently, he will not be able to declare all, God, all of God's works that identify his goodness, because God sends his goodness <clears throat> only on those people that place their trust upon him, and in result, they experience upon themselves the goodness of God when they draw near to God, which gives them the legitimate basis to declare all of his works. Therefore, to trust upon God, it is necessary to have a strong hope in your heart, demonstrated in all of the works of God that he had done, that were done by him in the days of old, where God reveals to us the power of his redemption because it is specifically redemption that is done by God in the old days that is called to become for us that immovable foundation of hope upon which our trust upon God will be based he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations the work of his hands are verity and justice all his percepts are sure 
They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. According to this and other places of scripture, the work of God revealed by him for the redeemed by him nation from sin and death consists in giving them the inheritance of the Gentiles. The inheritance of the Gentiles is our earthly body delivered from the old person with his deeds which are the Gentiles representing evil thoughts. The presence of evil thoughts in a man identified the state of an evil heart in the man. At the same time, the presence of good thoughts identified the state of a good heart of a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, Matthew 15, 19, 20. Evil thoughts are the wellspring of evil words and evil acts. Specifically by the nature of the thoughts of a man, you will determine the state of the heart of this person and the membership of this person either to the nation of the children of God or the nation of the children of the devil. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 20. 3-7. Evil thoughts are identified by vain words when people confess the covenant of God that is not in their heart. Good thoughts are identified by the words that come from the faith, that, that are confessed as the faith of the heart. The faith of our heart is the work of God that is done in the old days that is to redeem our body from the stronghold of death in order to erect them the stronghold of life. Specifically, such deeds done by God in the olden days and confirmed or sealed upon our heart is our hope upon which our trust is founded. In this way, specifically trust upon God that is demonstrated in the confession of our mouth as the faith of our heart is the demonstration of our thanksgiving to God, which allows God to then turn his favor upon us. The next condition in order to track God's favor upon yourself in the selective love of God is the necessity to confidently accept and overcome specific kinds of afflictions allowed by God into our life, called to give us the ability to learn the statutes of the Lord. But considering that our time is up, I will leave this condition for the next sermon. It is very important. Many of us suffer and often don't understand the reason for the suffering, are surprised and ask God questions, why is this happening? And when it's happening with someone or is coming from someone uh, or is happening to someone we know, we become surprised also. We need to know what suffering is, why God uses suffering in order to give us his goodness, and then we will know that the suffering that God allows into our life is actually God's favor upon us. This is God's favor that God allows into our life in the form of suffering because we not all are given the privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Let us bend our knees and pray and all those who want to be delivered from shame sin, dependence of sin, dependence of their old person, dependence of their soul, to be delivered from the fear of death, poverty, all that 
is coming upon this world because this world will be in even a worse situation than they are today. I will ask you to come out where the Lord will give you hope, will clothe you in, with new strength, will show you His peace that no one will be able to destroy, will deliver you from your sins, will forgive your sins and cast them into hell. Amen. Let us pray and may the Lord bless us in this prayer. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He had come upon his wings to deliver you from the fear of death, the fear of sin. He has enough strength to save you and bring you to his kingdom, not looking at your falls, not looking at your sins, not looking at your shame. He is capable of casting your hell, your sins into hell, cast them behind himself and blot them out. He is capable of healing you and restoring your strength. He is capable of clothing you into the garments of, right, of justification to put a seal upon your hand and shoes upon your feet and to slaughter the best of his sheep for you. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God, a sign that the Lord desires and wants and will immediately give to you what you ask for. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my issue and my situation, my sin, my shame, my dependence, my fear, my illnesses. I ask you, forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me by the blood of your Son. I open up my heart. I accept your forgiveness. I hate sin. I hate the old person with his deeds. May he be thrusted out from my body with noise and may the stronghold of righteousness be established in its place that of resurrection I believe in this promise I accept it with my heart I will not reject it I will keep it I will keep it as my own and I believe that in my time you will show me this mercy. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the hills 
that are ancient and the valleys be upon you. May the Lord show his glory and greatness in your body. May he fulfill this for you and your children. And the nation shall say, Amen. The Lord is blessed in his word. Everything that God depends on is his word. And when we confess the faith of our heart, God receives the ability to fulfill his word for you. To finish our worship, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen <laughs>